This is Michael Cowan, and welcome to Trial Lawyer Nation. You've got to have the right case because if you take it up and it's the wrong case, then you can make some really bad law that's going to affect a lot of plaintiffs. There's always an answer. The joy is in finding. One of the reasons that I love being a lawyer is this exact process. The way we live our life has nothing to do with the presentation sequence at trial. As trial lawyers, we pick up and move on and keep going. You're losing or gaining one out of every 10 jurors, which can really make a huge difference in the ultimate result of the case. Whatever you think about, you create. Learn all you can and never stop. And then have the guts to try case after case after case. Welcome to the award-winning podcast, Trial Lawyer Nation, your source to win bigger verdicts, get more cases, and manage your law firm. And now, here's your host, noteworthy author, sought-after speaker, and renowned trial lawyer, Michael Cowan. Today on Trial Lawyer Nation, I'm joined by one of my favorite guests, Valerie Peacock, my law partner. How are you doing today, Valerie? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Uh, i get ready for the end of the year, yeah. trying to wind stuff down before Christmas. <laughs> and we're actually doing our annual meeting uh, a little early this year. Uh, we usually we go as a leadership team and have our offsite in January once we get the books closed uh, to really look to see how the year went and to plan out what we're going to do the following year. Uh, but you've got something happening in January. Yes. Uh, yes. I will be busy. I'm having a baby in January at some point. And so we don't know when that is. So yes. <laughs> we wanted to make sure we got all this done before I leave. I wanted to make sure you were included too, because yeah. your, your input is very valuable. Uh, we also want you to know what goes on with the firm that has your name on the door. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, we're meeting next week and uh, I've been, you and I were going over some of the numbers and just comparing, you know, what's happened to our firm from 2014 when I started tracking this stuff to now. Uh, and, you know, the incredible changes we've, we've had and what we've done to get there, we thought would be a, something that some of our listeners would get some value from. Yeah, I think so. You know, I've talked to a lot of people that listen to the podcast and people are interested in two things, trial skills and how to run your business. So this is a podcast about running your business. <laughs> Specifically, you know, it's something that I've historically been embarrassed to talk about. It's, it's a podcast about actually making money from practicing law. Yeah. I, have, I have found in past years before I, I focused on making money and got rid of my guilt about making money uh, that I could work a lot of hours and not end up with very much money in my pocket in the end of the year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in making smart choices with your time and with your efforts and with your investments, with your money, investing into cases and investing into things at your firm make a huge difference to the bottom line, which I think is what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> yeah. And I just want to give, you know, just some details because I was pretty impressed. I'm not going to give exact dollar figures. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, I think that's fair. <laughs> listeners, I, you know, I like you guys, but you know, it's just uh we do want to keep some proprietary information, uh, like ex- the exact amount of money we make. But we can talk about percentages. And so from 2014, we had more of a general personal injury practice, uh, lots of the smaller dollar car wreck cases, uh, more of a volume practice. Uh, and we had made a decision to sometime around then to stop taking the what we call non-commercial auto cases, uh, unless there was a really big insurance policy and focus on the on the bigger stuff, which was really scary, because uh, that docket did it was a profitable docket. It wasn't. It turned out to be the right decision, but it was scary to give up a docket that, that made money. Yeah, uh, and was my bread and butter because I always knew I could get those cases, and I wasn't sure that people would still refer me bigger cases if I wouldn't take their smaller cases. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I was here um, at that time when you made that decision. I had been with a firm for about a year um, and uh, it was a big change and you were very nervous about it. Yep. Um, and I think just so that the audience doesn't think that this was something that was taken lightly, you were still nervous about it even when it was working. So, you know, I, uh, <laughs> yes, uh, it, it had to be working for multiple years. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm still not the best at saying no to cases I should say no to, uh, especially when it's from someone I have a you know longstanding referral relationship with. I still have that fear of, well, if I say no, they'll never call me again on either case, which is absolutely untrue. Uh, I found that some of the people that I said no to some kind of mediocre cases and not, maybe I would have taken, but you know, we had one lawyer out on maternity leave. You're getting ready to be on maternity leave. I was you know, just did not want to overstress the firm and wanted to make sure we had room for good cases. They came in. Uh, and then those same lawyers came back with some really good cases like a month later. Yeah. So, you know, learning to have the courage to say no to things is so important. Yeah. And so the, the, um, the tracking of the kind of numbers that you're going to share with the audience right now started around 2014 because of that decision. You wanted to make sure that you were making the right decision. Yeah. Um, and so that's why, that's why we have the numbers. It's, it's not a full 10 years, but it's since 2014. So yeah, seven years. Yeah. Uh, so what we do is one of, one of the things we do is we look at the, uh, I just get all our fees, and I just put them in an Excel spreadsheet, and I say, what's the average fee? What's the median fee? We also can break that down by case type, by lawyer that it's assigned to. Uh, it's, it's most useful by case type as well as the firm average. So why the average and the median fee, though? Well, the average is important because if you were consistent, I mean, you know that every time you sign up a case, you're going to get about that much money. Uh, it's really important for marketing decisions. It's really important for staffing. Like, okay, like we, you know, if we had another lawyer in paralegal, could we handle so this many more cases? And will that make it where we could pay that lawyer in paralegal and still make a profit off of those cases? Uh, but the median is important too because the averages, you know, you get one big case. Uh, can really skew your average. So the median, you know, you took all your cases from the smallest fee the biggest fee, what's the number in the middle? Mm-hmm. Uh, the median was really important too because I used to only look at average. Right. And then the first year I looked at median, we had a small car wreck docket, it was depressing. <laughs> because half of our cases, I'm just going to, this is one number I will share, although I'm embarrassed, but it was a long time ago. Uh, our median fee was 2500 bucks. That meant of the 279 fees we had that year in cases, you know, half of them were that $2,500 or less, which you know, if you have a large volume car wreck case and you have, you know, you put a bunch of kids in there, you know, you had signed up mom, dad, and three kids, and mom and dad had a good case, and the three kids, you know, settled for $500 or $1,500, right. whatever, you know, because they didn't really get hurt, had a pediatrician visit, and that was it. Uh, you know, that skews those numbers, but it's still realizing we were doing that much work on cases that we weren't making a profit on uh, was really eye opening. Mm-hmm. But we track all that, and then we look at it year over year, uh, because you can just have like a really good year where one big case hits, and so you need to look for multiple year trends. But since we've made the decisions to become a lower volume, higher quality case firm, uh, the number of cases per year has plummeted, but the average fee, as well as the gross income, 
has gone way up. So and our, the median fee. And the median fee. The median fee has got way, way up. So the median fee is 18 times higher than it was when we started. Right. The average is uh, six times larger than when we started. Yeah. Uh, which is just incredible. Yeah. I, I think those numbers speak volumes yeah. <laughs> just by themselves. I mean, in the percentages and that's that kind of growth in seven years. If you tell me we double or triple it, I would have been thrilled. I had <laughs> I, I, I didn't dare to dream that we'd end up with the average and median fees where we are now. Yeah. And well, that includes per client, not per case. So when you, you know, like I said, when we have mom, dad, and two kids, the two kids are in there equally. Right. And something that we should add to that is how much has the number of clients dropped? Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I just looked at not the number the firm carried at the time. Cause that's, a, that's a harder, I, I, right. I necessarily track that historically. I guess I could try to see if I could parse that out in our databases, but uh, the number of uh, fees deposited per year has gone down uh, to one less than one third of what it was. So, I mean, we were doing three times as many cases settling in 2014 than we are now uh, this year. Wow. But we're making almost twice as much money just in gross income this year on one third of the cases. Yeah. Yeah. I think you told me right before we started this podcast, this podcast is about how to work smarter. <laughs> I think I think I said to make more money by working less. Yeah, I think that is what you said. <laughs> and uh. it sounds like a scam or a multi-level marketing <laughs> thing, but it really it really does work uh, if you well, you if you market yourself well enough to get those better cases and you can just get the courage to say no. Uh, it's not just courage, it's the it's part of courage because you have to believe that the, the better case will come in and you say no, the case is not right for you. Right. Uh, and then it's just a matter of also feeling like you don't have to help everybody in the world. Like we're not the only law firm. Right. And really on those cases, you know, I was talking to Sonia this morning. Uh, you know, it used to be if we settled a case, you know, back in, let's say, 2001, 2002, if we settled a case for $100,000 or more, we would... Go buy, you know, champagne. Wouldn't be Dom Perignon, but like a Moy White Star, twenty-five, thirty-five uh-huh. dollar bottles of champagne. And we'd get the whole office together. We pop the corks and we would toast because we got a. Because most of our cases were, you know, small auto cases. Yeah. Uh, back then it was a twenty or twenty-five thousand dollar policy limit or lower limits back then. Um, and so a hundred thousand dollar victory was huge. And then if we got a million, you know, we would, you know, actually get it all bought Dom Perignon and, and Sierra. Yeah. From now, we, you know, every six-figure settlement, we'd all be drunk all the time. <laughs> I mean, it's just not, it's not, that's not an above average, that's a below average case at our firm. That's like, why do we take it? Right. Uh, and I don't want to suggest to our listeners, I mean, I've been doing this for 20-something years. Right. And, and it was appropriate to celebrate those cases then. Uh, and it would not have been appropriate for me to say no to the kind of cases I say no now. Because nobody was going to hire me on a big case. When I was four years out of school. Right. I think that that's important to be said. This isn't something that I think can be replicated if you're opening up your own practice this year or you're five or even 10 years out and just getting your name out there. Um, I don't think it would necessarily work for you. <laughs> well, I think I think the concept of looking at where you, what work is actually making you money and what cases you're spending an inordinate amount of time on and making very little money, very little money on them. For the amount of time you spent, I think is worth it. Uh, I've toyed with the idea of tracking hours, but I just uh, 
I think the revolt I would get if I asked everyone to enter their hours. And then you'd get the people with insurance defense background that would build like insurance defense lawyers and <laughs> have their 26 hour days when they're on the office for nine hours. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I, I don't think that, I mean, I think we know where we're spending. I mean, we do make an effort at the firm to look at where we're spending our time. It's the uh, Pareto principle right. that you've talked about on the podcast multiple times. Um, which is you, you want to make an effort to spend your time on your highest value cases and spend less of your time on your lowest value cases. That doesn't mean it's always possible, but that's the background that you want to have going into how you organize your day, your life, and the effort that you're spending on things. And it's interesting, you know, but when we were less picky on cases, the Pareto principle definitely applied. Uh, we actually were getting sometimes 90 to 92% of our fees on our top 20% of our cases. Mm -hmm. And we were often getting more than half of our fees on our top 5% of cases. Once we got peak year and our averages started, you know, going up and we started getting, you know, more good cases and stopped working on as many, not so good cases. Uh, the actually 80, 20 principle is, I mean, the principle is still sound. Right. You should spend 80% of your time, you know, on your top 20% of your cases. But we actually, I think are at 67% of our fees from our, yeah. It's still, you know, disproportionate. Uh, those few big cases still carry you the year. I mean, if, if if you and I could figure out a way just to get our top five cases in the door and like let everybody else go have one secretary and you and I just do that, we we both make a lot more money. Uh, I just don't know how to do that. And I, don't, I still don't have that level of courage. And I also like I like all the people we practice with. I like the community. I love. We just hired three new associates. Yeah. And I love watching people come into their own. You know, we had a lawyer here just hit a milestone. I mean, she brought in, uh, I'll say she brought in over a million in fees. Uh, and to see her develop, uh, to be able to do that from, you know, starting not having handled her own docket before, it just, it makes me feel so good. It's not just the money. I just seen the development yeah. and watching that. And I like the camaraderie and someone to have lunch with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, to grow that much, I say grow because I guess it's growing in income. It's not necessarily in our firm size or anything like that. And it's definitely not in our case size. We're actually shrinking in the number of cases we have. Well, our case size not, right. is increasing. The size of each case is increasing. The number of the cases number. we have, per uh, actually firm-wide and per lawyer, has, has definitely decreased. Yeah. And so I think that you know our growth goals are different, I think, than um, what you would expect. The goal was not to bring in more cases, um, which I think is counterintuitive to some people. And I'm spending more money and time on marketing to get fewer cases. And that sounds counterintuitive at first right. because, you know, it, it, there are only so many big cases out there. And so it takes a lot of work uh, and a lot of spend to get some of those cases. Uh, and so... If you're going to be picky, you can't just say, well, I can cut, if I'm only take one third as many cases, I'm, I can take, you know, my market marketing budget down by one third. It's like, no, you can't. I actually, yeah. when I tried to, do, I spend more on what I call B2B or, you know, business to business marketing to referring lawyers. I spend more on that than I did when I was trying to advertise to the deal book. Yeah. Even though I'm not counting the referral fees or co-counsel fees we pay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. And so um, that, all of that, it happened. So this is a process that has happened over the course of seven years. So it wasn't from one year to the next, suddenly we have this. 
income growth that, that we're talking about. I mean, it, it has taken seven years and it's been yeah. a steady rise if you look at the way that it's developed. And remember, we're tracking this every year at the end of the year yeah. um, so that we can make sure that we're still on the right track and that the decisions still make sense for us. Yeah, it's been a steady rise. We had one exceptional year uh, in 2019 because we had just a lot of big cases up. We had a not-so-great year in 2020 because of COVID. Right. Uh, this year has been an incredible year, although... You know, we got to look at next year because was this year an incredible year because it was a great year? Or is this year an incredible year because we got cases that should have settled last year plus cases that were supposed to settle this year also at the same time? Right. So it's something that we have to continue to track. It's not now we've reached this milestone and we give up tracking these numbers. I mean, we need to keep making sure that the decisions make, make sense. Yeah. Um, and if they don't, then we can always switch pace. Yep. <laughs> and being open to that idea that you don't have to, if it doesn't work, then... You can make other decisions. I mean, you don't have to die on this hill. <laughs> yeah, but I, I did. I I will tell you that I don't miss working tons of late nights almost every weekend. I just don't miss that. I mean, I I, yeah. I work if I have a big trial coming up or something huge. I mean, I, that's not to say on a weekend I don't go spend an hour or two checking my email, doing a little research or something. But I'm not like coming to the office and spending hours. Uh, and, and usually, once my kids wake up, like if I work on the weekend, it's typically. I'll get up just because I'm old now. Uh, <laughs> I'll wake up at 6.30 or 7. And, you know, drag myself out of bed at 7.30 or 8, get my cup of coffee, and everyone else is asleep. The house is quiet. So, yeah. you know, sometimes I do a little work, there, but not a lot, but not working all day where I'm, I'm not spending time with my family. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's definitely different than it was in 2013. And then, you know, there was a lot of work that went in through the course of these years to get to the point that you are now. So it's, Absolutely. I mean, and a lot of big and small decisions that were made. So I think talking about some of those decisions might be interesting to the, yeah. the audience um, because I think it wasn't just one big decision yeah. that caused this. It was a big, some big decisions, but then a, a bunch of little small tweaks that we made too, that helped get us here. Yeah. The big decision was we weren't going to take a car crash case that did not have a company vehicle, either an 18-wheeler or a company-owned vehicle, unless it was a large insurance policy. I think what the definition of large has changed. It has. Uh, it has. But I think that's that's something important to note, that when we first started this, we thought that a large insurance policy was 100000 100, Now, a large insurance policy is 500000 yeah. <laughs> So, But it's because we wanted to keep – we have to keep progressing as we go, and you can't – it's just – I don't know if we could have done it all at once, but we right. weren't ready to do it all at once. Yeah, um, it, it would have been tough because yeah. we, we weren't getting in the – if we had done it all at once, at, well, one, we had to finish out those other cases. But two, to do it all at once without layoffs because the – you know, I, I generated some bigger cases then, but not enough to feed all the people that were working for us. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so I think that was the decision that was made in the twenty. 13, 14 time period when we started tracking this information was, okay, we're only going to take cases that have a large insurance policy. At that time, it meant $100,000 at least policy. Um, and then um, and then we changed over the year for what I, our criteria are, and they change every single year. Yeah. Um, so why... Why have we changed the criteria every year? I mean, why didn't we make that decision and just that was the decision and then 
we don't reevaluate it. I mean, why why do we look at it every year? Well, one, you want to make sure it's working, and then two, sometimes you want to say, okay, we raised it this much, and we're having a good result. What will happen? Let's just we want for a year and raise it some more. Now we don't even have to wait the whole year. I mean, we we could go mid year, and if like we're losing our referring lawyers, mm-hmm. they're so mad at us, we could have tweaked, you know, and, and done things differently. Because another thing I could have done is just if I could let go, just hire someone else to run that other department and not worry about it. But if, if I'm going to be involved in it, it's going to take my time away, and that's a big problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's so. Yeah, we've been tweaked it over time, and because it's not permanent, and so that that was a big decision. Also, the, specializing the type of cases we do. I mean, you know, we thought about doing nothing, and I've had some good friends encouraging me to just take trucking cases or just take trucking company vehicle cases. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I thought, man, let's do it, let's do it. These other people are doing this great. But then when we ran our data, a lot of our top five and definitely a lot of our top 20% cases were other types of cases. And we would have lost out on, you know, at least one eight-figure case and a lot of mid-seven-figure cases uh, had we said we're only going to do trucking cases. Right. Uh, and, you know, I, I, the, case, the two cases I've been in trial on this year, the arbitration you and I did and then the Jerry Trial, Sonia and I did, were both non, non-trucking cases. They, right. you know, one was a, they were both brain injury cases. They both were worthy of our time. Right. So we just had to say, okay, what is, what is our criteria for those types of cases? Yeah, that was a harder criteria to come up with because what we found um, with those cases is that they always take a lot more work than a trucking case. And not because trucking cases aren't complicated or not because we don't know how to do these other cases, but because with trucking cases, since it's such a big portion of our business, we have really good systems for it. Whereas when we get one of these other kind of cases that say premises case, or it's a workplace injury, or it's a something, a product liability case, we just don't, because we don't get them as much, we don't have the systems for it. Yeah, there's a lot more research, a lot more having to custom, do custom things, hire experts early and meet with them to get educated, reading literature. Uh, it, it's a lot more work. And so basically, you know, the numbers changed over time again on those two. Right. Uh, and then on, on the product cases, because of the expenses, we've got super duper big. Mm-hmm. Uh, also because we've had some that didn't go well and we lost hundreds of thousands of dollars. And that yeah. also lets you become a little pickier when you have to do that a couple times. Uh, so, yeah, I think what we learned, if it doesn't have the potential to be in your top 5% of cases, fee-wise, then you probably shouldn't take something under it. Definitely if it's not in your top 20% of cases. So, you know, like right now, and, you know, I don't know whether that's right for the percentages or not, but if it doesn't look like it's more likely than not to be a million-dollar-plus case, if it doesn't have wheels on it, we don't take it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's changed over time. And that's hard. I mean, that's 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 been a hard decision. Because there have been some good cases that we would have been thrilled to get, you know, five years ago that we said no to. And and I was so scared. Well, my referring lawyers, and he's going to go to someone else. Someone else can take that case. They're going to do a good job on it. And I'm going to lose that person forever. It's like letting your spouse go on a date with some other guy. <laughs> it's like, well, or some other girl, you know. It's like, well, you know, is, is my spouse going to want to come back? Maybe that person's going to be more charming. <laughs> You know, so it's, uh, but it's turned out to be, you know, you actually earn people's respect when you say, this is what I do. And you explain it like, I've got these cases we're doing together. Uh, I'm trying to do a really good job with them, put in the time they deserve. And if I take this other kind of case, I'm going to have to choose between not doing a good enough job on the case I'm already doing for you 
are not putting in the time that those other cases are. So you really should take it as someone specializes. And I even help them, you know, here's some good lawyers. Yeah. Each year, the law firm of Cowan Rodriguez Peacock pays millions of dollars in co-counsel fees to attorneys nationwide on trucking and commercial vehicle cases. If you have an injury case involving death or catastrophic injuries and would like to partner with our firm, please contact us. You can reach Delisi Friday by calling 210-941-1301 or send an email to delisi at cowanlaw.com. That's D-E-L-I-S-I at cowanlaw.com. She will coordinate a time for Michael Cowan to speak with you in person or by phone to discuss the case in detail and see where we can add value in a partnership. And now, back to the show. So I think, you know, that's, those are, those are kind of some of the, the big decisions we make over time. Um, I think the biggest one was, okay, we're not going to take $30,000 car wreck case policies anymore. I mean, we're not going to take any of those. That, that was the big catalyst that led to all these other decisions, but we are tweaking them every year and we're going to look at it again this year. So we're going to look at our numbers and we're going to say, okay, where, where are we spending an inordinate amount of time to not make very much money? And do we want to eliminate that from our docket? And we've asked that question in the past about certain things and we've decided, no, we still make enough money that this is a profitable piece of the business. One example of that is is car crashes where you don't have a lot of visible property. Yeah. Uh, so one of our thoughts was, well, let's stop taking those. Yeah. Because the logic would be, well, those aren't as good a cases. They're harder to settle. They cost more money. But when we ran the numbers this summer, we had enough six-figure fees on those cases where it did not make sense to stop taking them. Like, okay, we get rid of all these good fees. Where What's going to replace them? Yeah. Uh, and so, at least at that time, and we're going to revisit this again. We're going to do it tomorrow, but I got busy and didn't get the data we need, so we're not <laughs> going to do it tomorrow. But we're going to revisit that again soon. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I still think if we make any changes, it'll be a gradual change. It won't be, you know, we only take cases where cars are all smashed up. Although those are easier cases, but we found when we do enough work and we hire the experts to prove that people really do get hurt in these crashes. Right. And you know, we have to try more of them, but we've done well enough on them that it still is a profitable area for firm. Yeah. I mean, we did make some, uh, we, we've put some limitations on those um, kind of lower property damage right. cases. So, you know, there's a certain injury threshold or there's a certain something else that we look at before we take it. And we started doing that, I think, at the beginning of this year because yeah. we thought, well, I mean, it while it's a profitable area, this piece of that area is not profitable, yeah, right? I mean, we also, can't make money on this this kind of case, so we don't need to. And also, the cases where we end up having to cut our fee way down to get our expenses back, and right. you know, and where everything goes to crap, tended to be more low low property damage cases. And we do have to look at you know case expenses we have to write off or fees that have to be cut way down, yeah. and try to take that into consideration. Now we don't track fee reductions, but it's just something we kind of get a feel for. Yeah, I mean, we should, but we don't. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things I've learned there is you can't fight a war on three fronts. And so, you know, if if liability is disputed and there's a fight about whether your client was really seriously injured and there's a fight about whether you could, like, do you have a serious injury or not? I mean, is this just degeneration? You know, do you have prior injuries or is this something 
you know, that was definitely caused by the crash. Uh-huh. And then was the property damage bad enough? Was the crash bad enough to have caused this injury that you that your client has? If you have to fight all three of those issues, it's really hard to get a jury to go with you on all three and still give you a lot of money. Right. Uh, so, you know, we're looking for, you know, well, liability is going to be really clear if we're going to have very little property damage. And, you know, the damages are enough where they've got enough injury where it's worth, we could justify hiring an expert. Those cases are hard. They're not impossible to win with an expert. I mean, I've done it, uh, but they're harder to win with an expert. So we're trying to only get ones where we can, uh, you know, justify hiring the experts who we need to try it right. Right. And if someone has only gone to the chiropractor and they're better, their medical bills are $2,000 and they're completely better, obviously you can't afford to hire an expert in that case. Right. And so that makes it very, very difficult to... Um, make any good case out of it. Yep. And so, you know, why are we taking that um, at this point? Exactly. And so the kind of thing, I think something else has been a game changer, it's been really hard for me, uh, is fully implementing the lesson of the sunk cost fallacy. The sunk cost fallacy is, let's say, someone says, you've got this case, it's going to cost you $200,000 to do the case, and you only have a 20% chance of winning. Most of us would say, no, I'm not going to pay that case. Mm-hmm. But if you, you've had this case for six months, you've been working on it, you spent $50,000 of your own money, but you're only going to have a, chance, a 20% chance of winning, and you have to spend more money, you know, another 150 to get there, uh, you do the case. A lot of people, well, I'm already in it, I've made a promise to the client, I've already spent this money, and you end up putting good time and money after bad. That What happens in those cases is even if you get a recovery, they're not very good, you're cutting your fees or not even taking a fee because you want to get your expenses back. Yeah. You're having to, you know, Deal with hurt your people. relationship with medical providers because you're asking them to get these gigantic discounts. Your referring lawyers not really happy with you at the end of the day because they didn't get very much money. Yeah. Uh, and they're, you know, their fees getting cut. The client's not happy uh, giving you a five-star review because while you did a fantastic job for the case, they view their injury as compared to another person's injury that was in a great case. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, we've had some cases where we've spent some time and money investigating and working them up. We found out that the client lied to us or the facts weren't what we thought they were. Uh, or the other lawyer was a psycho that was <laughs> the case, whatever it might be. Yeah. Uh, and so we got out of the case. Uh, whereas, you know, years ago, we would have stayed into the bitter end. Yeah. Uh, and that has been, it really was a product of me realizing, I look back, I said, like, for the last five years, each year, the case I worked most on was the case of Carly Mitty. Yeah. And I spent a ton of money. I'd spent six figures in case expenses. I'd spent countless hours briefing, taking depositions, doing hearings, and then we'd resolve it, and, and I would not make very much money. Uh, and I said, why am I doing this? Why don't I credit a principle? Why don't I put my time into the cases that are going to make us the most money and, and make our client where we can do the most good for our clients, too, and then really maximize those cases? Which means sometimes saying no, thank you, and look, I'm not the right lawyer for this case. I'm going to withdraw. You need to get another lawyer. Yeah. Uh, and as long as you don't put the client in a bad spot, I don't love doing that. I still feel horrible every time I do. But sometimes that's the right move, and I think we need to, especially when people have not told us the truth when we came into a case, we should not feel a moral obligation to be stuck in a deal that we would not have taken had we known the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's hard, though. I mean, you're losing money right then, right? Because you're going to have to lose whatever you spend. I mean, in order, typically in order to get out of it, you can't keep a fee, at least in, 
from what I understand of the rules. It's, Not in it, Texas. It, Every it, right. place is different. But in Texas, we have to if we withdraw from a contingent fee case, we eat our expenses, we eat our fees. And plus, if it was that good the case, I mean, you would kept it. You're probably gonna, not going to do it. Yeah. So right then, when you do it, you're losing all that money. Yep. I mean, it's gone, and so that makes it hard. But I think I know this year in particular, you've made more of an effort to get out of cases where, especially when someone has not told us the truth and, and it's a very critical piece of the case, <laughs> um, that's just going to make the case impossible. And, you know, frankly, I don't think you should feel bad about <laughs> not representing people who aren't truthful with their lawyers, but, uh, and, and I've gotten a lot better at that. I, mean, yeah. I don't feel that very often about that. I it's still a little bit of a, you know, of the feeling, well, I'm, I'm working out. I, I could find some way to do something with this case. Yeah. But, yeah, they, you know, like someone says, absolutely, I never had a prior wreck. I've never had this injury before. And they had a lawsuit and had an MRI that looks identical and had a recommendation for the same surgery that your doctor's recommending in your case. Yeah. Uh, you know, they lied to you and they lied to the, everybody that got caught. And wonder if I'm stay on that case. Yeah. But, you know, it, we don't just limit withdrawing from those. Sometimes you get in a case and you do the investigation and there's just something about it that isn't what you thought it was going to be. I mean, you know, maybe the science isn't there or the, it's a product liability case and the alternative isn't there or the, you know, I mean, there's a lot of different reasons to get out of a case. Or you got a video and the video is really bad for you. Right. Or you got a video and, and it's not that anybody lied to you. It's just that it, it's just not what you thought that it was. Um, and sometimes those are worth getting out of too, because if the evidence isn't going to support a good chance of you winning and you're going to have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to explain this new evidence, yeah, you know, what do you do? I mean, it's you end up losing money and mostly you end up losing a lot of your time that you could have spent making money somewhere else. Yeah. The other thing is, you know, there are some really, really toxic clients. Yes. Uh, that sometimes because of a referral relationship, we still stand. Uh, but I'm, I'm getting better. In fact, I had such a conversation this morning. Uh, we had a pair of very, we have clients that are very, very difficult to deal with. They don't have a very good case. Uh, and we just made the decision that, you know, we're probably not the right ones for them. Yeah. They need someone that can make miracles and take a bit of abuse while they're doing it. And, no, that's just not us. Yeah. Yeah. But I will tell you that probably in 2014, 2013, we would have taken the abuse and tried to yeah. tried to make it work. I mean, you know. And it, then cut the, our fees down by 90% to get so, them the money they wanted at the end of the day. Everybody's unhappy. They're unhappy. They're never going to be happy. They're those kind of clients. I mean, they're just never going to make them happy no matter what. Um, and we're not happy. And I think you made a decision a few years ago that why are you doing this if you're not going to, it's not going to make you happy yeah. and, and you're not going to enjoy it. So I had a huge epiphany when my uncle died. I had an uncle you know, uh-huh. was a uh, insurance defense lawyer, uh, but it was a big mentor to me. You know, he was on the plan side, gave me a lot of advice, actually got me referred by from his firm to the first huge cases we ever had. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't really land on everybody. And he worked and he worked, he lived, he was divorced, so he lived in an apartment. He would buy a used car and drive for 10 or 12 years. He never went on vacation. And he had enough money to retire. He had 
you know, several million dollars in his investment account. Uh, and then he gets colon cancer that's already metastasized by the time they caught it and dies like a year and a half later. Uh, he went like on one vacation when he was like between rounds of chemo. Uh, and that was it. And it really made me realize, yes, we got to work hard. You know, this is not easy stuff to do. You got to put some hours in, but we got to take time to be happy. We get one, you know, we, we get one ride on this earth. Uh, and I want to choose to be happy and enjoy my time. That doesn't mean I'm going to be frivolous and spend every penny I make. Right. Uh, but I don't want to spend my time working for almost free for toxic people who don't appreciate me and are rude to me. Yeah. Are rude to my staff. I don't respect, need respect this. I mean, I just, I don't want to spend time working on cases I don't believe in. Uh, you know, I don't want to spend every weekend at the office. Uh, but I also want to do a great job with my cases and, and get maximum value. And so how can I do that? Well, right. the, the power is, it's the power of saying no to things that aren't right for me. Uh, and then it's the power of when someone's really ugly or someone lied to us or someone's case goes, you know, south, unless there's a compelling reason to do so, say, hey, look, I'm really sorry, but, you know, it doesn't make economic sense for me to continue wherever I'm going to yeah. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I mean, this is not a nonprofit. This is yeah. a business and um, it is what it is. I mean, if we're not making money, then we're not doing it right. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, you know, if we're working all these hours and we're putting all this time in and all this effort in um, and we're not, and it's not successful. Well, that doesn't help anybody either. So. Yeah. And, and being able, you know, having the financial with wherewithal to do our cases right and not worry about are we going to hire an expert? Well, you know, we'd always have the lines of credit run up. Somebody's even like put things on the credit card and we're going to pay off three months later, six months later, mm-hmm. get the case settled. I mean, there were some scary times coming up and it's because we took on too much. We didn't say no enough. And, you know, we made some bad, some bad economic decisions because of that. And I think part of it was, part of it was legitimately wanting to help. Yeah. Uh, part of it was hubris thinking I could win every case. But part of it was just the the fear of if I say no to this case, I won't get the next big case. Yeah. So I think a few other, I think these are smaller tweaks that have been made in the last seven or so years, more recently probably, is um, getting really good. I mean, you've always been a systems person, so you've always had systems in your practice. Since you've known me, I've been a systems person. Since I've known you, you've been a systems person. But I think really honing those and developing those for our most common types of cases and making sure they're implemented the way that we want them to gives our cases, makes them settle faster. And when cases settle faster or get resolved faster or go to trial, whatever the issue, however they're going to get resolved, if they're resolved faster, everybody benefits. Um, And the longer that a case goes on, the worse it gets. Um, not just because of life, <laughs> just because right. of things that happen in people's lives. I mean, we've had clients die. We've had clients get deported. We've had clients go to jail. We've had clients get in other more catastrophic wrecks uh, or even just other wrecks that cause a huge problem. We've had clients so scared of getting surgery that then by the time we actually get to trial, there's this huge gap and it's hard to explain that maybe one day they might. I mean, it just all of it. Um and so it makes the cases worth less than they would have been if we could have gotten them resolved at six months instead of right. 18 months. Now, you can't do it too early. I mean, you still need to make sure they get, you know, if a client actually has a back surgery versus a client that's been recommended a back surgery right. or a client that hasn't even got to the surgeon yet, 
it's worth more. Uh, you know, when you have had the liability fight and you find the bad stuff that the company did and how they knew they were doing something dangerous, you know, there's some things that you do add value that take time. Right. But in general, yeah, the cases, they're not wine. They do not age well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, uh, and so making sure that our systems in place were really good and tight and clear so that we could get cases moving at a pace that made sense. And also that we can spend our time, because we still work, we probably put more hours per case in than yeah. we did in 2013. That's probably true. Yeah. Uh, we might not be spending as many hours in the office working in, you know, in that seven-day period, but on a per-case basis, the cases are getting a lot more work, and they're getting a lot more deep work. They're getting a lot less, we have a deadline tomorrow, we've got to hurry up and get this done, can we get yeah. an extension, we're panicking. And a lot more, let's be strategic. What can we do to maximize the value of the case? You know, go do a lot more research, looking for the anchors, industry standards, other other problems that this company's had before, other problems that drivers had before. Uh, but we can, we can do that because we have so much stuff happening, happening automatically. Like right. We get a trucking case. The first day that it comes in, a non-lawyer, without us telling them to do so, because they said, it's the computer tells them to do it, and then we'll, if they haven't done it by the end of the week, their manager will say, why haven't you done this? Well, you know, they'll have to go online and, and download data about the company. They'll have to send out a Freedom Information Act request. They'll have to, you know, all these things just happen automatically without us thinking about it. Uh, even the, you know, having someone call the client consistently, how are you doing? You know, you need help getting to the doctor. When was the last time you saw a doctor? <laughs> Making, reminding them that having gaps in the medical is bad if they're still hurting. Uh, you know, Setting them up for lawyer meetings when we, when they need one because they're unsure about what to do, uh, that speeds things up. Uh, but you know, if you if you have to wait till you think about it, right? Instead of having all these things are happening automatically, I say automatically. I mean, we do have to still manage the firm and enforce and check, and but we're not yeah. going to do all these little things ourselves, and they're happen- they're not waiting till we think of them back. Right, and a big one of those um, is doing sort of basic things in your lawsuit that you don't want to just do whenever you think about the case or whenever you think about it. But if you have a system in place, like send out your discovery requests, you know, or send out your, you know, list your damages witnesses or, you know, whatever the reminder is, what you don't want to do is wait till you think about it because then it might be close to a deadline or close to, you know, too close in time to do something about it. And if you have the system in place, then you're not constantly scrambling to get a continuance or extensions or whatever the issue is. And, it, you know, the the defense sees you doing that. <laughs> I think that's the other thing. When you, like, you know, Texas now, we have an initial mandatory disclosure like we do in federal court. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have that in our state court cases, too. And, and one thing I've really been preaching with our lawyers and trying to enforce with our lawyers and paralegals, if when you do your initial disclosures, you have already found your, what we call before and after witnesses, the friends, family, co-workers, People that can talk about what they were like before, what they're like afterwards. You've already found photos and videos of them doing those other things before. You've already gone out and done all this stuff. You've already found, you know, let's say it's a trucking case. You're producing the literature you're going to use to show their violations. When you do all that, you know, 30, 60 days after the defendant files their answer, defendant files their answer they're like, wow, these people are really getting ready for this case. Yeah. Like from the get-go. This isn't like, oh, let's see if this settles, see if we got tea. If they're like, hey. Let's get rid of the squeaky wheel. Yeah. <laughs> and go, you know, we don't like this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, they're taking note about what you're doing on the other side and it affects the value of your case. 
if you're the kind of lawyer that's not going to be ready for the first trial setting, you're also the kind of lawyer that's not going to get a very good offer right at first, right? I mean, it's, you know, what you want to do is be ready the first time that you're able to go, if it's possible. There's always, there's always reasons that it, it can't be. Your client's still treating. There's some other issue. I mean, COVID, whatever the, you know, I mean, there's always a reason that it can't be, but if that is what, how you practice with that goal in mind, right. it makes a huge difference for how quickly you're just. Yeah. I mean, I still like the goal of from crash to cash within 12 months. Yeah. Uh, I mean, to, you know, ideally COVID has really messed us up on this <laughs> Yeah. because uh, we have a litigation based practice, but ideally from the time the case comes into our office, you know, Within 12 months, we want that lawsuit filed. We want a trial date set. Uh, hopefully, within that 12 month period, if we yeah. get the court will do it uh, and get it resolved or tried, you know, in the first 12 months. So sometimes it's outside of our control. The court gets us the dockets now. You often, on, on the biggest cases, you don't get real money until you're down there at the courthouse. Now, the mid sized cases, sometimes you're better off selling at mediation because the increased cost of doing all those expert depositions right. eats up. You know, you and I, we did seven one in Chicago where the, yeah. you know, yeah, the, the offers went way up, but we spent so much money on the case that we're still going to reduce our fee to get the case up. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those settlements where you feel bad about where you think this is a really great settlement for this. <laughs> this is a really good deal on this case, but we had to spend so much money to get there right. that it. Yeah. If we could have settled if it we could have settled a year earlier. before. Now, they weren't offering it. If we could have taken $100,000 less right. a year before, the client would have been better off. And uh, at least on a per hour basis, we would have been a lot better off. Yeah. Yeah. So those are, I mean, those are some of the decisions you have to make and some of the things that you have to look at. But if, you, if you're practicing, especially litigation practice, uh, thinking about how am I going to make sure that I'm ready for trial the first time I get called. Yeah. Whether or not it's realistic that you get to go. I mean, I, I I hear people driving in their car saying, well, in my jurisdiction, you know, you have to announce ready 10 times before you get to go to trial because I hear you. But if the goal is to be ready the first time, the defense sees it and it's more likely to resolve. And if you're, if, <laughs> in the one case where you're not ready that first time will be the one that actually goes. Yeah, oh, that's true, too. That's true, too. Enjoying the episode? Do you wish you had Trial Lawyer Nation on the go? Well, wish no more. The Trial Lawyer Nation app is available now exclusively on iOS devices. Access our entire podcast library, create a favorites list, search for old and new episodes, and much more. It truly is Trial Lawyer Nation at your fingertips. Download this free app now and enjoy the top legal podcast for plaintiff attorneys wherever you go. You know, I think um, one of the things that I I think some lawyers probably think is crazy because I know when I first started going to CLEs and I would hear these lawyers talk about their five cases that they have and they're all these enormous cases and and you just think, oh, that could never be us. (laughs) I mean, okay, they must have some really good deal with someone or some really, you know, I, I don't know, they just... They're extra special, right? It's just something, something extra special about them. And and while we're not there, um, limiting the docket size at the firm counterintuitively has made everybody happier, but also has made everybody more money. 
And um, the more we limit it, it seems like people just aren't going to have enough to work on or they're, um, I mean, if, if we worked up cases the same way we did 10 years ago, the way we do now, people wouldn't have enough to work on. But now spending that extra time on each of these cases has really paid off. I mean, yeah, the values have gone up and you feel better about what you do. Yeah, it's more fun. <laughs> and, you, and you're and you able to find those cases where you could really hold out for top number. But even on our medium-sized cases, we're getting you know, at least 150, if not 200% of what we're getting on the same injury, the same type of run mm-hmm. in 2014 because we're able to put more thought and effort into them. And also because we're able to keep up with our clients and so we're not having as many big gaps in treatment. And issues and other kinds of things. And... Like I said before, we're getting things done in a timely way, showing that we're ready, being proactive instead of reactive. All of that gets reported back, and it makes it, makes your case more valuable and more likely to settle quickly. Yep. So, you know, I guess kind of to wrap it up, the, the listeners, if you have con- if you have control over your docket, if you don't have control over your docket, what I would say is pick your top five cases or four cases and work the heck out of it. Try to spend at least half your time, if not more, on those top few cases. So even if you're, they give you 80 cases, take your top ones and do a really good job on them and try to show your boss, look, I'm increasing value on these. If you can do your cases, so that's what it looks like I can do for you. And at some point, maybe don't stay there if they're going to keep you on an 80 and 100 case docket forever. Well, and I, I know you're wrapping up, and so I'm, I'm about to open a whole other subject. Oh, okay, but, that's great. That's great. Uh, but you said that, and it made me think of something. If you don't have control over your docket but you do have control over the time that you spend on something. Um, We did something at the firm, which I'm not sure we've talked about on the podcast before, but we have a five-star rating system for our cases. So can you kind of explain to us what that is? Sure. And I didn't come up with this. I got it from, I don't know where it came. I learned it from Rodney Jew, but he got it from somebody else. Uh, And so after the book he got it from, he told us, and I don't remember. But basically you want to look at your, probability of success and you want to look at your likely fee. And so a one-star case is really when you shouldn't have taken. So one-star case, and for us, was we're more likely than not to lose and our fee is something that's well under our, our basically our fee is under the median fee and we're more likely than not to lose. Right. More likely than not to lose if we try it. So those are cases we shouldn't have taken. A two-star, two-star is actually kind of the bread and butter. Like we're more likely than not uh, to win. So it's, you know, it's a good liability case but the fee is not going to be in our top 20%. Right. Uh, it's going to be on that, that bottom 80. It's going to be the 80 part of the 80, 20 words. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, they're good cases. You, you don't want to stop taking them. Uh, they're, they're your bread and butter, but you're just going to be working through them. Your three-star case is one where you have a shot at getting big damages, but it's a harder liability case. So like, if you tried it, you're like less than 50% likely to win at our firm, mm-hmm. but your fee would be like the top 5% at the firm. Right. Your four-star case is your fee is going to be the top 5% of your term, and you're most likely to win it. Actually, no, the fee would be the top 20% of the firm and most likely to win it. And the five-star case would be like, this fee would be like one of the top 5% of the firm, like a huge fee, and you've got a, like 75% or more chance of winning this case. So this is a case that's a slam dunk. We're going to get a bunch. The more money we put, the more effort we put in this case, the bigger it's going to get. Uh, and we do that so that we can prioritize our time on, let's work more on our five-stars and is there a way on our one stars, one, do we want to keep them? And if we do want to keep them, how do we get this case resolved with the least amount of expense right. time if possible? Right. And so even if you don't have control 
over what cases you get, how many cases you have, whether you get to withdraw from a case, you can still rank your cases in this way so that you're maximizing your time and effort uh, that you're spending on things and getting stuff off your docket that is not that great because who wants to spend a lot of time working on a one-star case? If you have a way to get it done, get it resolved, move it off, you can make more money because then you can spend more time on your five-star case. And, and you can give the, the clients that are really, usually those five-star clients are very deserving people who've been very hurt, yes. they don't fall with their own, and they need, they deserve that time. And uh, no one's going to be up to the end of the one-star case anyway. So yeah. get, her, get her done, as Larry the Cable Guy says. Yeah. Uh, and, but the, even then, the criteria is not the same. If you look at our original five-star memo that I wrote when I came up with it, yeah. uh, our numbers have changed because as our average... Fees have increased, uh, our median fees have increased, well, then our cutoffs have changed. And there's, so there are cases that, you know, used to be a three-star and now a one-star. There are cases that used to be a four-star and now a two-star. Yeah. Uh, you know yeah. what? That reminds me. We should probably look at that tomorrow. <laughs> we should. <laughs> should bring I, that with us. <laughs> we should. I think I think the numbers are going to be about the same based yeah. on what I was talking about now. Having, I mean, I've got, I've, you haven't crunched it out yet. I've, I just yeah, yeah. So I think we're, we're going to be pretty, because we just raised the five-star criteria a year or two ago. Yeah. But uh, absolutely, we should. <laughs> uh, the five star we definitely had to raise because it, we had to, we were getting like twenty percent of our cases for five star, right? Just really awesome, right? Right. <laughs> we had to change what we consider a five star. But you want to keep adjusting it because you want to make sure that your top, very, very top cases are five star cases. If all of your cases are five star cases, you need to adjust your criteria, right? Uh, absolutely. So, like I said, even if you don't have control, I mean, find out what your best cases are and where your you know, adding value, adding more work to those and more focus will add value to them. Because that, I don't want to say that we don't work hard on each case. We do. But we're just wasting a lot less time. A lot yeah. less time. And we're also being more productive because we're not always stressed out. I'm not saying we're never stressed out. Right. There's litigation that has inherent stress. But when you're not constantly worrying about deadlines and trying to scramble at the last minute to do things, you are so much more productive, so much more creative, and, and frankly, when you come in with that, you know, you go to negotiation with that, you're calm, you're assured, like, I don't care the settles or not. I'm ready to try this case. If you pay enough, to, you know, I want to try the case. You pay enough to make my client happy, I'm fine with it. I'm not going to get away, but I really, I'm not here to push a settlement because I really don't care. Yeah. They will pay you a lot more money than if you, if you act like you want to settle the case. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. So I interrupted your wrap up with an aside That's about okay. five star ratings. <laughs> yeah, no, well, that was a good, that, that was a good one. Uh, um, so I, uh, you know, I think in wrapping up, just to remind people, it is super critical that you look at these numbers every year because you need to make adjustments, whether they're big adjustments or they're small adjustments or no adjustments. There's been years, like we just talked about, the five star rating hasn't changed in a few years. But that's okay. But you look at it and say, does it need to? Um, and if it doesn't need to, you don't change it. I mean, and I think every year you need to look back. Are there things I'm spending my time on that I shouldn't? Mm-hmm. You know, is this you know the Marie Kondo test? Is this spark joy? <laughs> is 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 my life better because I'm working on these cases? And if the yeah. answer is no, and you have a choice, now I know if you're an associate at a firm, you don't necessarily have a choice. But if you have a choice, why are you doing them? Mm-hmm. You're not making much money on them. They don't make you happy. I mean, if you want to go do a pro bono practice, do a pro bono practice. Right. But you don't do personal injuries for pro bono practice. I mean, yeah. there are much, you know, there are other things you could do for free if you want to do it for free or, or spend your own money on them. But 
and look at that and then look at, you know, where can I add the most value and how can I structure my life where I can add value there? And then how can I structure my life where I'm not going to be stressed out all the time? Where I'm going to have time to do the things I do and I'm going to make the money I need to do the things I do. It's not just about greed. It's fun to make money, but the other thing is it does give you the freedom, you know, go travel. You're really good about that. I mean, you, I you work to. really yeah. hard, but then you take your breaks to for your me time and your friend time, your family time. Yeah, uh, and that's so important. I mean, even more important for you next year. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I guess those are the big takeaways. I think uh, you know, work smarter, not harder. That way, you can work harder in each case. Learn to say no. Uh, people respect you more when you say no. The more boundaries you set, the more you say, "This is what I do. This is what I don't do." They respect you. And I learned that I was with a referring lawyer once, and I, and I said no to a case. He goes, oh, that's okay. I'll give it to someone so he takes all the trash. <laughs> now, that lawyer was thinking by taking these smaller, harder cases. Like, I used to think, well, when I get a good when he gets a good one, he's going to give me that case. No, no, he's not going to give that lawyer. That's the trash lawyer. Yeah. He's going to give him all the trash cases. He's going to bring me the good cases. But he wouldn't. He didn't think of me as a good lawyer until I started saying no to the trash cases. Yeah. And, you know, that this particular lawyer was, you know, number... Number two on our uh, average fee, our, our number of referrals from him has gone way down, but he was number two on average fee and number two on uh, total fees. Even though he had fewer cases than almost anyone else, they were all so good. Yeah. Uh, it's a, a great relationship. And he's a good friend, too. But but because I started saying no to the smaller stuff, when he got the bigger stuff, he thought, well, he's a big case lawyer. Well, if I took smaller cases, then I was a small case lawyer. Yeah. So, you know, just having the courage to make those changes, but then being realistic enough to know what changes you can make and when. Because like I said, at the age of you know, 29, I said, I'm only going to do clear liability, death cases, <laughs> release 20 million coverage. You know, I think I would have starved to death. Pretty yeah. 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 It's not, like I said, it's not something that you, you can't mirror Michael Cowan's strategy unless you're at Michael Cowan's level, yeah. but you can use, you can learn my strategy, but you have to start where I started. Right. You have to start at the <laughs> yeah, beginning yeah. And, and work your way out. Yeah. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, but it no, will, when you do these things, when you look realistically, where am I? What can I cut out and make more time for the good stuff? What can I do to get more of the good stuff? What can I do to, what, and what can I do to maximize the good stuff I have? You start doing that, your life will get better. And you will find joy in the practice of law again. All right. Well, I hope people found this helpful. I um, I thought I, when we were looking at it yesterday, I thought oh, the podcast listeners just have to hear about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, we're coming up this air December 15th. So, you know, we're coming up on a new year. I, I really do encourage everyone to really reflect. Uh, you know, this is a good time of year to reflect. We slow down a little bit over the holidays and reflect on where you are and, you know, what can you do to take control of your life? Don't let your practice govern your life, design the life you want, and then make your practice work around it. Uh, I'm not perfect at that. I'm going to try really hard. You know, one of my resolutions for next year is I'm going to you know, get my exercise and travel booked first, and then I'm going to book my work around it. Now, you know, sometimes courts don't give me that choice and stuff, but in general, for 80% of the days, I can do that. But it's a mindset change. It's, it's not like I have to fit my life around what the, what's scheduled for me at the office. It's like, no, I'm going to schedule my life, and then schedule everything else around that. And then I'm going to be more productive and get more done. Uh, and, uh, but I really encourage you to, you know, find, you know, if you happy new year, find a way to make to be happy in this next new year. Mm-hmm. And you can be happy in the law. It's not 
a miserable perfection. I, yeah. I, I love it. I love the people I work with. I love almost all my clients. Um, I have fun in what I do. Well, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I don't love all of our clients. I love most the vast majority of our clients I love. There's uh, a few that, you know. They're hard to love. There are a few that I wish I had a little more courage <laughs> to say no. And we're still, we're, we're still a work in progress. And, and there's a few that, well, I love them. The, I, I love them because I understand what they're going through and why they act the way they And, but, and if you're going through enough, I'll, I'll give you some, some grace. Yeah. But, uh, I have a fairly joyous life, but it's by choice and by design. And I hope everyone here does the same because you could have a joyous life too. I'm not going to say you're never going to be sad, you're never going to be stressed out, but you really can make your life much happier and healthier in the law if you're conscious and deliberate about it. So, Happy New Year. Have a great year. Uh, and I mean, hope everyone has a great holiday. And I hope you guys can incorporate these lessons into your practice. And let me know. Send us, a, send us an email or give us a comment on our Crawler Nation Insider Circle. Uh, and let us know if any of these things are working in your career. Thank you for joining us on Trial Lawyer Nation. I hope you enjoyed our show. If you'd like to receive updates, insider information, and more from Trial Lawyer Nation, sign up for our mailing list at triallawyernation.com. You can also visit our episodes page on the website for show notes and direct links to any resources in this or any past episode. To help more attorneys find our podcast, please like, share, and subscribe to our podcast on any of our social media outlets. If you'd like access to exclusive, plaintiff lawyer-only content and live monthly discussions with me, send a request to join the Trial Lawyer Nation Insider Circle Facebook group. Thanks again for tuning in. I look forward to having you with us next time on Trial Lawyer Nation. Each year, the law firm of Cowan Rodriguez Peacock pays millions of dollars in co-counsel fees to attorneys nationwide on trucking and commercial vehicle cases. If you have an injury case involving death or catastrophic injuries and would like to partner with our firm, please contact us. You can reach Delisi Friday by calling 210-941-1301 or send an email to delisi at cowanlaw.com. That's D-E-L-I-S-I at cowanlaw.com. She will coordinate a time for Michael Cowan to speak with you in person or by phone to discuss the case in detail and see where we can add value in a partnership. This podcast has been hosted by Michael Cowan and is not intended to, nor does it create the attorney-client privilege between our host, guest, and any listener for any reason. Content from the podcast is not to be interpreted as legal advice. All thoughts and opinions expressed herein are only those from which they came.